0: This is R.J. Rushdoony, easy Chair number 350, November the 8th, 1995. In this session, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Paul Biddle and I will discuss justice. Now, not too long ago, in fact last month, we dealt with justice although our emphasis in that one was the justice system and the breakdown of it in practice. Our concern tonight is more with justice. What does it mean? What does it lead to when uh, justice ceases to be a viable concept, and so on? Well, for us as Christians, justice means the expression of the being of God, His law. We define justice simply as the law of God. The Bible speaks of it very often and most of the time it is translated in uh, terms of a word once more common in English, righteousness. Righteousness and justice are the same concepts. Well, having separated the doctrine of justice from God, justice has come to mean less and less. It is now defined by the state and what the state does is justice. Or as the Soviets said, whatever the state decrees is law and binding. The democracies have a cynical attitude towards uh, justice. Chief Justice Vinson, at the beginning of the 50s, made clear that there was no uh, valid, eternally true idea that uh, could be used to guide the law. Law was... The do it yourself functioning of the state, apparently. We have had uh, in recent years men in practice and men in law schools ridicule the idea of justice. The law is simply a pragmatic, positive step used by the state to govern society. Christians, therefore, who are unwilling to come to grips with the problem of justice are surrendering the faith. I know there are some who say that as long as they believe the Bible, it doesn't matter what they think. And I know some of these same people will involve themselves in anti-Christian ideas because they've separated the Bible from the world to the point that they make no connection or application of the faith to life. Well, with that general introduction, Douglas, you have some important ideas in this area.
1: Well, one of the things that we read about today that the politicians are trying to sell people on the idea that they'll be safe if they build more prisons. And nothing can be further from the truth. First of all, we're broke. We can't afford the new prisons. And uh, the prisons don't change anybody's minds. In a recent uh, television program where uh, a minister went in and interviewed a large number of convicts in the. I believe it was a Kentucky state prison Uh, none of them were looking forward to any kind of rehabilitation every single one of them was convinced that they would do the same crimes again if they were let go I thought it was very candid these interviews are very candid a lot of them will try to con an interview and say, oh no, I've got religion, I'm going to follow the straight and narrow. But um, a few do, but many of them uh, use that line cynically in order to persuade their interviewer that they're being rehabilitated. But the idea that society is safe because we build more prisons, we're only putting ourselves in a prison. First of all, we're incurring debt which we're warned not to do because we run out of money, we can't afford to build any more prisons, and there's an easier way. All we have to do is put the Ten Commandments back in the schoolhouse. Uh, there has to be some rules. And if uh, the judges continue to say what the law is instead of accepting the law as it's handed down in the Bible, uh, we're going to continue to get into this gradually diminishing uh, uh, justice where in, in essence there is no justice to the law. The law is what they say it is. Uh, they, uh, each situation is uh, judged on its own merits. Uh, you've got exceptions being made now by the Supreme Court that would have been unthinkable when I was a kid. Sure. And, uh, they're now, uh, making one exception after another, which in effect they're chipping away at the uh, constitutional guarantees and totally ignoring, uh, what is just to the point where there are no guidelines anymore. There are no biblical guidelines and there's no constitutional guidelines. And they're just flying on autopilot from one decision to the next.
2: As Rush indicated in the Bible, justice and righteousness are really synonymous uh, ideas. I think a lot of people need to understand that in the Bible, justice is forensic and objective uh, that's largely the Hebraic as well as the you know New Testament idea that justice implies a certain inflexible uh, permanent standard, which is just the opposite of course of what you were indicating. Uh, Douglas is, is prominent today. And, of course, that enduring standard is the law of God. But people don't like that because of our existential and experientialist generation. It's all how they feel. It's a great emphasis on compassion, as though there's some relationship between justice and compassion or justice and feelings or justice and guilt feelings. But biblically, that is just simply wrong. I mean, you can't examine the scriptures and come up with that idea at all. It's uh, really sad how we have apostatized on the concept of justice, which is affected, by the way. And Rush has written about this voluminously. Our views of the atonement—that's why our views of the atonement have have become so sentimental because of a, a perverted sense of justice. And it may be the other way around. I mean, uh, false views of the atonement lead to bad views of justice, also. But those are things maybe we can talk about too. Well,
1: one one little illustration, a personal. Uh, anecdote, I recently started a business and I had to apply for a sales tax permit. So I called the Board of Equalization and State Capitol and Sacramento and I said, I want to apply for a sales tax permit. And, uh, they said, well, you'll have to do this, this, and this. So fine, send the forms. And I said, by the way, would you send me a copy of the, the laws, uh, regarding sales tax? And, There was a long silence, like, I don't, and the woman said, well I don't know if I can do that. And I said, how am I going to obey the law if I don't know what the law is? And the same situation exists in public schools. How are kids going to obey the law if they don't know what the law is? They're not taught the law. If their parents don't teach it to them, and the schools don't have the Ten Commandments on the wall, the kids come out of school not knowing what the rules are.
2: Well, we live in such an antinomian age in which man makes up his own law, and uh, modern public education has fallen into that trap. You know, we don't want to impose any ideas on the students. You know, we want the students to come and give us their ideas, because uh, everybody's basically right to, right from a different perspective. Um, so is it any wonder that they grow up, any of them have become lawless, civilly lawless people? No, it's no wonder that that happens.
3: So you have man-made law. And you have God's law. That's right. But man-made law, we know how that just wanders and meanders about and becomes whatever man wants it to be. God's law is becoming hash in the, in the hands of a lot of people. Uh, you don't find the rigor and the desire to understand and comply and, and try to live by God's law. But I, I, on this word justice, you know, I, I think of the ways we use it in our vernacular. We have a justice of the peace, speaking to a community standard of peace. Um, we have Department of Justice, juvenile justice, Yeah stuff, yes. And I, I, I look back to a meeting that I had with some officials in the Department of Justice mm-hmm. who were very senior. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd say within the second or third rung of the Department of Justice. And I asked them, I said, what is the purpose of the Department of Justice? Because I was very concerned about the manner in which the Department of Justice, on the surface, appeared in many instances not to be responsive to public interest. And uh, they said, well, the Department of Justice, and I emphasize the word justice, its mission is to provide advocacy for the executive branch of the government uh. within constitutional constraints. Mm-hmm. 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 And a, boy we have to meander a bit Absolutely. on that one too. Yeah, I mean we, in these choices of words, I mean we've we've allowed ourselves to take the vestige of something, <laughs> justice, and we, we stick that into Absolutely. the title. But we, we tend to have gone away from the original thought of justice. And I I think that's a function of lack of interest, distance from the action of Mm -hmm. the American people. Uh, when we find that it gets down very personal, Mm -hmm. everyone has a pretty good understanding of what justice is. As Holmes said, you can, if you're a dog, you know when you're stepped on and when you're, by accident and when you're kicked. Well, I think most people have a concept of what justice is also, Mm -hmm. but we are so willing to take the words at face value and not realize how deficient they are from our
1: understanding. Well, it's a sleeping tablet. It puts people to sleep. As long as they see the symbol up there, they think everything's all right. They don't look behind the, the symbol to see if it's, if it's just. Uh, just this past week in Investor's Business Daily, they uh, announced a, uh, a request by the U.S. Justice Department for permission to... Um, tap every 10th telephone call. Oh, dear. Because the computers were never fast enough before. You know, they've, they've been wanting to do this for the past 20 or 25 years, but the computers weren't fast enough. Now that they've got the speed and the capacity, they can now do this. Now They can, they can provide justice, Douglas. The yeah, they can provide justice <laughs> by invading the privacy. Now, there, there's no reasonable cause here their reasonable cause is the broad, uh, goal of, uh, of, uh, detecting terrorism. Yeah. And how they're, what they're going to do is they're going to program these computers to key in on certain words that they program into the computer, like fertilizer and dynamite and, you know, all of these terminologies, uh, uh, and who knows what else they're, they're going to monitor. In other words, they're going to use these computers to direct their attention to specific individuals or groups of individuals based on what they say on telephone conversations. And now, they, they have no, uh, proof of any wrongdoing yet, uh, but they're going to use this as a tool to uncover Wrongdoing, or suspected wrongdoing, or potential wrongdoing. So, Big Brother has arrived. It's just that these guys have been waiting breathlessly for the technology to get up to speed uh-huh. so that they could accomplish what they set out to do 25 years ago, and that is to monitor all conversations all the time by everybody.
3: Uh-huh. We don't deserve man's justice, we deserve God's justice, I tell you that. <laughs>
2: Well, oh no, Rush, uh, you, we were talking talking about the debasement of words. You take the idea of justice, put it into the hands of a liberal, and he emphasizes what's called distributive justice, and the idea that if you oppose minimum wage, you're being unjust, because it's just that everybody in society be guaranteed a certain level of income. Uh, and that's how this word... Th- this word justice is used more by liberals. You wouldn't believe how frequently this word trips along their lips, but it doesn't mean the objective, forensic, unchanging justice that the Word of God indicates, it means uh, their latest ideas cooked up by their, you know, sprung by their compassion. Uh, uh, it's a prime example of how words really lose their meaning in the hands of, of unbelievers.
1: Well, semantic twisting has been going on since 1960. You know, they've invented words that mean nothing and they've destroyed the meaning of other words that used to mean something. Yes. It's been a disinformation game from the get-go.
2: Sometimes just the opposite of what they mean, like in Orwell's 1984, mm -hmm. you know, the government societies were just just the opposite of what
3: they were intended to do.
1: People are so confused about what they thought they knew, they now conclude that they know nothing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You take the difference between judges and justices. Mm -hmm. And we always think of justices as being Supreme Court, Superior Court Mm -hmm. justices and a judge being the fellow down Mm -hmm. in the superior court or the local court within a community. I think as we start looking at the judicial system, we begin to realize there's less and less and less justice Mm -hmm. because of the quality of the judges and justices. Mm -hmm. It's no longer the, what should I say, the quality of a judicial system that we were taught That we anticipated and we tended to believe now we're starting to see that judicial systems are merely the result of the people who populate the bench and if you have marginal people on the bench you get marginal justice and we shouldn't even characterize it as justice douglas we have to think of another name andrew have you got another name for that besides justice well when the wicked do it it's called injustice
1: (laughs) judicial expediency
3: you know,
2: another point, I was studying this idea, researching for it tonight. Interesting in the scripture that uh, justice is often associated with weights and measures in the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really remarkable. And when we have an inflationary society, and Russ has pointed this out in his um, the little booklet on inflation, the roots of inflation, I think is the title, uh, we have an unjust society. So we're living in an unjust economic society when we do not have proper weights and
0: measures. Mm.
1: Just weights and just measures yeah, that's, that's is synonymous thing. with fairness. That's right. Fairness and equity.
0: That's right.
2: And when we inflate the currency and when we have the federal government involved in uh, little economic games, that really is a denial, uh, one aspect mm-hmm. of the denial of
3: biblical justice. But well, when we see our own Department of Justice going into the federal judiciary system, and in the midst of trial, whispering into the ear of the judge on cases in which they're not involved, civil cases, I, I think we start seeing the, <laughs> it's not, I, I guess you would say cohesiveness of the justice system. And I think all Americans, I get back to this issue, we as being born in the United States, we have this sense you speak of, Douglas, of fairness, equity. We expect it to stand up to scrutiny. We think that if uh, four or five of us sit down and heard the same facts, we'd come to the same conclusion. And I think now due to the quality of the bench and their involvement in making law, not just being judges, but in making law, administrative law perhaps we should say, we have drifted away from justice. we have, even now, sometimes we look at our judicial system of, of juror, trial by jury, and it's not exactly what we thought it was before. We have some questions. I think many Americans say, What is this trial by jury when you can throw people off the jury? Uh, when you can have people on the jury not be responsive to facts? Uh, many people question our system. Now, I think it's still the best system in the world. But in theory, in theory. But when you get into practice, mm-hmm. due to some things, anomalies of uh, of economics and life, our system tends to just clunk along rather than than ride smoothly.
1: Well, we people have become cynical because of judicial misbehavior. You know, we've had now a generation of judicial activism, which has destroyed people's belief in uh, justice. That's right. And, uh, it's, it's happened very quickly. It's happened, uh, it seems to me like it's happened within my, within my lifetime that people have become so cynical about the law that they no longer care about what's just. It's what's popular. It's what feels good. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the law. It doesn't have anything to do with what is just. It's what they think it ought to be. And they're simply following what they've been taught. But if you get
3: down, I'll I give you a specific of that that I just really, it repulsed me. Maybe three to four years ago, McDonnell Douglas in St. Louis, excuse me, was in some financial difficulty. And we had the Department of Defense and the Department of Justice trying to decide whether they should be prosecuted for defrauding the federal government and the conclusion that they came down to was that we needed to have the resources of McDonnell Douglas to continue to help us in our national Mm -hmm. defense and to go back and go after them for defrauding the federal government would not be in the best interest of the government. Mm -hmm. Now, boy, if you're a citizen Mm -hmm. and you start seeing how you are (laughs) thrown from one side to another if you do not have the proper withholding or get your quarterly tax payments in on time, He's, you start saying, this is not justice. This is, this is where the individual, without too much difficulty, can start seeing the absence of fairness and equity in
2: well, justice.
1: Well, we're oh. just going to have to learn mm-hmm. how to become mm-hmm. indispensable to the government. <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: the point is
2: that that's another biblical violation with regard to uh, justice. Biblically, the idea of justice is that there can be no difference between rich and poor. That's one... Uh, it's another point about adjudication you can't consider a a poor man's poverty or a rich man's riches some people say America's got the best justice money can buy well it shouldn't be that way Uh, but all too frequently it is but the Bible is very clear on that grave warnings to uh, those who dispense justice that they uh, not take into account uh, the wealth or the poverty of the person involved well again we come back to God's law and man's law absolutely and we must be governed by the law of God or we will be governed by tyrants, and that is exactly what has happened today. Now, of course, if you mention
0: (coughs) God's law today, you're ridiculed as though you were somehow a dangerous person in society.
2: When really it's the people who oppose God's law that are dangerous, because then whenever you can introduce a fluctuating standard in the hands of tyrants, whether a single tyrant or institutional tyranny, as is usually the case, that's what's really dangerous. I mean, biblical law uh, puts the stranglehold on tyranny; it won't permit tyranny. Mm-hmm. But when you get rid of biblical law, that's when we can really be afraid of, of tyrants, and that's we've
1: lived to see that uh, today. I just I, I wonder if if the human race will ever become intelligent enough to see that after trying everything else and it's resulted in abysmal failure that maybe, just maybe, they might try God's law and it might work for them. Yeah. You know why that won't happen, I think? I,
3: I hope you're right, Douglas, that it will. But it's the same thing that I've talked to Rush mm-hmm. about, and that is our memory is only the recent past we are not aware of history. We do not have a reflective thought that has sufficient scope to realize our failing.
1: One or two generations. A historical perspective is one or two generations.
0: I've cited this before. Uh, Former State Senator Bill Richardson, a good friend, once told me, he said, Politicians know that with rare exceptions no voter remembers anything more than 16 and 90 days old. Mm-hmm. The one exception of note was Teddy Kennedy and Chappaquiddick.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Normally, whatever you do is quickly forgotten.
1: I just wonder if this inability to learn by <coughs> experience is part of the fall. Is it, is it, uh, is it an inherent flaw in the human Condition since the fall, that we are doomed to repeat the same failures time after time after time.
0: Having the same nature, a fallen one, men are somehow confident that they can make evil work better than justice. And so they are addictive in that respect. They keep trying the same thing over and over again. And people who have worked with criminals find that they believe are convinced it was a fluke that led to their arrest.
1: <laughs> yeah. But you have all of these... You see all of these uh, vanished civilizations and they leave all these carvings on the wall of the temples and so forth of all of their the flaws in their culture... And you know the the evidence is there, but everybody walks on by and ignores it. <laughs> Falls in the same pit, generation after generation. It's it's like uh, it's like Dante's Inferno. You know, you just you never get out of the pit.
3: Well, as, as you were just recently pointing out in our conversations, history as recently as fifty years ago, mm-hmm. we do not read about in the sense that we understand it fully. We get sensationalism of it. Mm-hmm. We get uh, references to things that people want us to remember from 50 years ago. But we don't really understand the history and the evolution of ideas at that point in time.
1: You yeah, know, the, the connection of events, uh, that's the key thing. The only... This guy, uh, uh, Burke, that was on public TV for a while, uh, his technique was different than I've seen used in in uh, any school that I went to where he linked you know a cause and effect and uh, oh yes I, I know i think I think with. if uh, not necessarily that I go along with with everything that he said, but I thought that the the teaching technique is a valid yes one.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: because people are Given so much unrelated data, that means nothing. You ask the average kid. In fact, there are, just last night they were interviewing some kids. You know, they're trying to. The media is trying to. The great oracle of wisdom is trying to tell us why the educational system is failing, and they've gone out and uh, asking, you know, kids, uh, what does this mean to you? And they just stare blankly or give some off the wall answer that has no relevance to the question whatsoever. It's obvious that the average kid in high school and even in college, in lower division in college, hasn't got the slightest idea how to connect events in history. Yes. Well, that's the result of fragmentation. See, that's the problem. They don't have
2: a true worldview, and that's what Christianity offers. Otherwise, you've just got all of this, these unrelated facts that you're talking about. And you have a fragmented society, then you have a society that has unrelated facts. And that's what we have today.
3: Well, have you, have you read in the newspaper how the events of the world are related through the Christian looking glass. I never seen it, Andrew. We don't hear that. We hear fact, 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 Mm -hmm. fact, 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 But we don't see the relationships Mm -hmm. correlated, as you say, through the the Christian looking glass. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a very important thing. I know one of the things that Rush has brought home to me is the cohesiveness of everything in the christian looking god absolutely
0: well <clears throat> that cohesiveness is no longer there now because what men have been working for is the destruction of relationships of cause and effect and uh, therefore it's a do it yourself world you can uh, improvise, you can get along as you see fit. Uh, and who's to judge you? What's the standard? One of the things I've referred to this once before a few years back that is a memorable experience was that <clears throat> I was at a major university and uh, I asked how many had read Emile Durkheim. Almost everyone had. I said, how many of you read, have been assigned to read this particular chapter of his in the rules of sociological method? None of them. But when I discussed that chapter, they immediately recognized it from everything else in Durkheim. And the gist of it was, and it's an idea that has had... Uh, tremendous impact on our world durkheim spoke of the criminal as an evolutionary pioneer he began by affirming the truth of evolution all right most of humanity people like us are just uh, stuffy and uh, law abiding and therefore we're a part of the past The evolutionary pioneers are those who forge ahead and so the criminal is the evolutionary pioneer. Now that idea has saturated our culture and so the more lawless you are, the further out, the more prestige you have. What we have been doing in this century is to drop overboard The whole of the Christian heritage. So that combined, uh, combining that with the ideas of Durkheim and others like him, that the lawless man is the pioneer, you can see where we are. (coughs) If you, uh, examine our pop culture, it's the far out person who attracts youth. Some of these uh, wild rap groups and rock groups that are uh, made up of men who are in and out of uh, jail with serious offenses represent this culture and their appeal to youth is precisely their lawlessness. Now, about 50, maybe a bit more than 50 years ago, I was... Uh, preaching at some county uh, jails to various groups, adults, youth, male and female, and so on. The uh, older criminals were always making some excuse. But what was noticeable, even though they were excusing themselves. They still had an idea of good and evil, right and wrong. But when we went in to talk to the uh, youth, the juveniles, upper teens, it was an interesting experience. Now you'd have a lot of blacks in such a group, but at that time it was overwhelmingly white and uh, the veteran guard who took me in there said one thing you do keep your distance from these and uh, never turn your back on them he said your older prisoners have a common sense not to risk anything unless they're going to make it work but these kids are crazy They have no sense of right and wrong. And uh, give them the ghost of an opportunity and they'll jump you and kill you. They'll make an attempt to get out when it's hopeless. It's a totally wild and insane kind of thing. Well, the reason for that was very clear. They had no idea of good and evil. Most of the schools had already dropped the Bible and prayer. They reflected that. And as a result, the idea of good and evil, justice, was totally ridiculous to them. I had a long argument on another occasion, and this was a little later. The young man came from... uh, nationally prominent family. He had headed up a gang of students who in the Stanford area were perpetrating one crime after another. And the police knew they were dealing with very intelligent people. They were students. They betrayed themselves with the uh, greed at one point where it was unwise to get something it was too easily identifiable and traceable but when i called on the young man in prison his argument was that given the fact of darwin and evolution the idea that there was good and evil in the world right and wrong was old hat it belonged to my generation his father's and mother's generation it had no reality so he simply went back to a life of crime a highly intelligent man who directed the operations and who believed that uh, any shortcut to wealth was valid now that's what we have all around us today the idea of good and evil is seen as a myth why do anything and it leads to absurdities people no longer have any criterion for judgment the humorous story I told you before we began uh, I think is a telling illustration of that this 43-year-old man <laughs> whose 40-year-old wife decided to have him killed in order to take the money he'd won in the lottery. He'd won over a million in one incident and a hundred thousand the other time, and she wanted to spend it freely without his stuffy restraints. So she uh, hired a man to kill him All well, the police at this time became aware that she wanted a hit man and they moved in the husband uh, embraced his wife after she was convicted and sent to prison for 25 to 30 years something like that uh, said he was going to be waiting for her and he still loved her and then he became very angry with his wife because he found that her down payment on the to the hit man was only twenty five dollars, huh. and he felt that he was worth more than that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now <clears throat> that's amusing because think of the trifle that he became indignant about. People today no longer consider good and evil as important things to consider. Trifles govern them.
2: You know, we've got to remember, too, that the the wicked have to borrow Christian premises to keep any order in society. So they can't really consistently act on what you were talking about, Russia. I mean, some people within the society can, but if everybody acted according to his lawless presuppositions, we would have total anarchy. So they have to borrow from the Christian presuppositions and from the residue of Christian heritage and Christian culture. And they do so inconsistently,
0: of course. They could never live according to their
2: presuppositions.
0: That reminds me of something that I mentioned to you the other day, Paul. Uh, the film of about 30 or so years ago, 30, 35, by, uh, a Swedish actress, act, uh, a producer, director.
3: Ingmar Bergman?
0: uh, yes, Bergman's husband. La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita, yes. It did everything to mock anything that was Christian, godly, decent, and so on. And yet, in the last scene, two of the homosexuals, particularly contemptible figures, suddenly raised the question, wouldn't it be horrible if everyone were like us? In other words, there would be no one and nothing to sin against. And we have a society that is determined to destroy everything that is godly, but it couldn't exist without the godly. It needs them both to provide some kind of order, some kind of functioning, and also because their hostility requires somebody to sin against. Which is to
2: say that the ungodly are parasitic.
0: Yes, Yes, they are parasitic.
3: When when you speak of the parasitic activities of of other justice systems, so to speak, uh, there there are two things that I I think we as Christians have to be very careful of. Uh, I speak... Well, first of all, if I I believe that there could be a godly law in Confucianism or Buddhism or what have you... uh, then I wouldn't be a Christian as I am today. But the moment you ask me to live by the standards of other countries, through the Hague Court, Mm. through United Nations involvement in foreign countries, you're asking me to give up my Christianity, my concept of Christian justice, my concept of godly law. Those are things that we need to cling to rather than say cavalierly, well, I guess that's necessary. And you, you're going to have to take a stand in this life about things that make a difference. Absolutely. So the godly law is very important, and the dimin- diminution of your own Christian faith is not how you move forward. We can have tolerance without accommodation. Absolutely. And we don't have to accept to tolerate. And I, I just get, sometimes we're just a little bit too easy as Christians on things we should just grab onto and, and refuse to
1: give up. Well, it's our, you know the American style of of getting rid of something is to marginalize it, uh, isolate it, and submerge it in a, in a sea of contemporaries. You've had the American, the U.S. government recognizing every kind of of so-called religion and cult and so forth as a as a valid religion, and thereby diluting attempting to dilute in the public mind the prominence of Christianity. Uh they've recognized Satanism as a legitimate uh uh religion, uh devil worship, um, voodoo, you name it. The, the US government has recognized all of these so called cult uh practices as uh, as valid religions with with equal Quote civil rights yes. under our government. And one of
0: yeah, excuse me, one of the landmark cases that is now totally neglected, and if you read about it in any uh, book on law, its significance is not appreciated. It was a case of Reynolds, uh, in which an attempt was made to vindicate. Mormon polygamy in the name of religious freedom. And it was a really difficult case for the Supreme Court of the day because they were not ready to, that particular court, make a religious statement. And yet, as they wrestled with the issue, what came through loud and clear to them was you cannot have an unrestricted freedom of religion because religion expresses itself in ethics, morality. And every kind of practice was vindicated by some religion or other. They went especially to India where, for example, with the thuggies, theft and murder were legitimate. They cited other instances where every kind of sexual practice was legitimate, where the murder of groups that opposed you was legitimate. So they made a quick tour around the world and said that there is scarcely a crime anywhere uh, that is not somewhere vindicated religiously by some cult or group. So they said there cannot be uh, such a toleration of religion because since law reflects the morality of a religion, you've got to have a congruity between the religion of a society and its law. One expresses the other. So they refused to accommodate uh, Mormon polygamy. Well, now, of course... What they are doing is to accommodate anything and everything except Christianity. So they're working towards a total breakdown of law. While he was still alive and on the bench, Justice Douglas of the U.S. Supreme Court was ready to speak favorably of of the rights of cannibals to practice their cannibalism and he was ready to vindicate anything on religious grounds. They have an egalitarianism of all acts and views, of course, except for Orthodox
2: Christianity. And that, by the way, is one of the real dangers of pure democracy, which
0: Tocqueville pointed out uh, so Let me say that, Reynolds' case, one of the few groups in the United States that have paid attention to it has been the ACLU. Hmm. Back in the 20s, they recognized its implications, or at least one of their writers did, and they have been working towards that kind of legal anarchism in which they will defend any practice except Christianity.
3: You know, a real, what should I say, noticeable... Flag when I listen to people, or I am speaking mostly of political figures right now, because I think of Bill Clinton praying in church. But if people base their experiences and its acceptability on the Bible is one thing, but if they base their belief in the Bible on their experiences, it's an entirely different thing. Yes, and that's that's the difference between Godly law and man's yes. law. And I don't see that coming forth in our political figures or our government. I'm, I'm really disappointed sometimes when I hear things they say because I see them judging their experiences, not by the light of the Bible, but judging the Bible's godly laws in light of their personal experiences and what they th- feel is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's all too common.
3: They are their own gods. Yes, that's, that's all
2: too common. Especially in our generation, it's just in light of their experience, you know, their feelings, and uh, talk about the Calvinistic conception, which is to say the biblical conception of God. And people have said things like, "Well, I don't like that kind of God," or "That isn't the God that I serve." You talk to them about biblical law, and they say, "Well, that's tyrannical." I ask them, well, "Are you saying God's a tyrant? What are you trying to say?" But um, they've made up their minds beforehand of the God that they want to serve and of the faith that they want to have and they try to conform the Bible to their uh, a priori uh,
0: conceptions in their mind. Well, according to Orthodox Judaism, there are 613 laws in the Bible. We would say not so many because they divide a law sometimes into two and three parts. Now, of those 613 a fair percentage are enforceable only by God. He does not allow men to enforce them because they would be then tyrannical. A limited number are enforceable by men. These are primarily concerned with uh, life, marriage, property, reputation. Now the consequence is that life under God's law is one of very remarkable freedom. Yes, that's true. Right. You only have a handful of laws that govern you. But men don't want that. They want power over each other. A man's tyranny than God's freedom. Yes.
2: Exactly right. Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes. But uh, man's burden is is very heavy. And yet men are so (coughs) depraved that they would prefer the chains of their own actions rather than the submission to God, which gives much greater liberation. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: When was the, uh, the the pledge of allegiance, uh, United States? It was changed. The wording was changed.
0: Uh, uh, yes, it was changed to include under God. That was in the fifties, mm-hmm. wasn't it, or forties? Yeah. Uh, actually, it was because when originally written, it did not include that. Mm-hmm. However, when I was in grade school at the beginning of the twenties, I can remember that the words were there. It had become almost universally used, uh, at least in the, the areas that I knew anything uh, or had any experience. So it was legally included in the 50s. But I can remember uh, uh, standing uh, in rows before the steps of Washington School when we had the morning Pledge of Allegiance mm-hmm. and uh, reciting uh, the words and uh, because they all came from strong churches and Christian families the kids would boom out under God
1: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but with liberty and justice for all yes. as a result of it being included you were talking earlier on the
2: other side of the tape about prisons and the lack of justice in prisons you know i just discovered not long ago that the idea of the penitentiary was largely a quaker idea yes. in pennsylvania uh, the idea of a place england, to go to yeah. england mm-hmm. so a place to go to be penitent well that itself is an assault on the idea of justice because Justice is not concerned mainly with making people penitent. Certainly the Holy Spirit can do that. But justice is concerned with adherence to the law, breaking the law or adherence to the law. But it's interesting. It's become something very different from that. Mm
0: -hmm. Prison cells. The word cell originally meant the room in which a monk... That's right. Uh, Slept and prayed. Mm -hmm. And the inner light the Quakers held would bring these prisoners to know God in themselves, and therefore they would be changed. Yes, and today we see the secularization of that idea and the rehabilitation. You know, you go to prison to be
2: rehabilitated. But justice in the Bible is not concerned with that. God certainly does rehabilitate certain people, but that's not the idea of justice. Justice is...
0: Law Restitution. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, restitution.
1: The recidivism rate is something like 83% and climbing.
0: The the law as we have it today is an anti-Christian development, the purpose of which has been to shift the law from the Bible to the state juries at one time decided, as I've said often, cases out of the Bible here in this country. And uh, under those circumstances, ignorance of the law was no excuse. We have destroyed the idea of law in this country. One of the great books written in recent years, which nobody will agree with perfectly, but which is all important is Harold J. Berman Law and Revolution and of course his point is that uh, the idea of law in the western world comes out of Christianity out of the doctrine of the atonement whereby Christ makes restitution for us to God by paying the death penalty for us and the criminal must either make restitution by death or by uh either giving up to fivefold for his offence or working it out as a bond servant. And that prevailed uh, <coughs> to about eighteen thirty in the United States. Then we adopted the Quaker idea that had been so uh, propagated in England. Uh, well, one of the great figures in the so-called prison reform was the Quakeress Elizabeth Fry. It's very interesting to read the account of her life. A remarkably dedicated woman. But she began with a false premise. She thought she had done a great work that was going to revolutionize the future by creating the prison system. But it was her faith in the inner light that every man supposedly has, a piece of God, which is pantheism, that led to her thinking. And the uh, results have been devastating. Our time is almost over. Does anyone have a final comment or two they'd like to make? I just want to mention again that justice biblically is synonymous with
2: uh, righteousness. And biblically it means adherence to the standard of God's law. It's not something subjective. It's something that is objective in the Word of God.
1: Yes. There can only be justice from God's law. What we have today is judicial tyranny uh, ruling by judicial decree and it's a, it's a totalitarian uh, system which is can, doesn't contain justice any longer well if we're all vigilant
3: and we're all vigorous about trying to keep an eye on the ball and make sure these people don't slip away from us uh, I think we have to make sure the people that try to diminish God's law are identified separated out of the system if they become a part of the system and we try to get people in who are godly and will understand God's law and try to live by it let's end on an optimistic note the Bible
2: prophesies that one day the law shall go forth out of Zion and that one day the law of God will prevail one day on the earth as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit of God and
0: the faithfulness of the people of God well an encouraging fact is the intensity of the attacks and criticisms on me for yes. having, uh, said that we must return to God's law. Uh, it really upsets people. And the liberals do everything they can to treat me as a kind of international menace. Well, if it weren't for the fact that the, in spite of all their, uh, statements, the whole Concept of God's law governing us is catching on with people. Yes. Is really, uh, uh, upsetting them. There are too many state legislators from coast to coast that have picked up on this because they know what they have is bankrupt. I know that a congressman 30 years ago told me when I was speaking in uh, oh, uh, the chambers there in a, one of their meeting rooms to a group of congressmen. He said, nothing else works. Everything else we've tried is a failure. Maybe we ought to try biblical law. Now, he was not a Christian as far as I could tell. He was just a man who saw the prevailing Failure of every other concept of law. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening and God bless you.